Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, I'm Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I am your host for the show. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member of universities in the U.S. and Germany, and I am delighted to be joined by Mark Palmer and Belinda Gore, the two primary authors on the book series. It is the first time in over 100 interviews that the three of us have been together, which is really quite a shame. (laughs) So Belinda Gore, PhD, is a psychologist, coach, and experienced teacher skilled in supporting high-level learning and personal development. As a senior faculty with the Deep Coaching Institute, she uses the Enneagram system along with 30 years of experience in facilitating change to help coaches and leadership consultants learn to embody deep level of transformation through the practice of presence. While specific tools may assist them in their work, it is the very presence that most often initiates the extraordinary shifts in consciousness in individuals and organizations that is the foundation for deep change. Belinda played a key role in defining the innovative leadership framework and contributing to the nine books. Mark Palmer is a principal and advisor with Metcalf and Associates. He is also a co-author of the field book and the co-creator of Position Success indicator and labor genome performance mapping solutions he's an expert in professional development and on the use of data intelligence to solve organizational challenges mark also has over 20 years of corporate experience in strategic planning team development market research and data analysis so my goal for this radio show innovative leaders driving thriving organizations is to help you as our listeners identify areas where you can address the challenges that you're facing today and provide information that will help you navigate it and thrive during these times of change. So so we are now saying basically we need to make ourselves become perpetual innovation machines. I need to have the capacity not only to update myself once, but to do it on an ongoing basis because we as leaders and people in organizations are facing multiple concurrent changes and it will never get slower. So imagine that today is the slowest day you will ever have in your life, rest of your life. Oh, great. (laughs) And that leads us into our topic of resilience. So we'd like our listeners to expand their understanding of resilience overall, how it connects to stress, and how we can measure it and build it in the context that the world is getting more challenging the speed isn't going away and the things that we are facing as people is often getting more complicated as well all of us need resilience and i know one of my personal fears is what happens when i just can't keep up anymore Mm. with the pace whether it's my laptop or my tasks and some might argue i don't do so well anyway (laughs) so let's start with the definition of what is resilience do you want to kick us off belinda sure we talk about resilience as a term that we borrow from engineering, and it's just how much pressure a material can endure before it is changed irrevocably. That's the piece that kind of sounds somber, really, but we know that things are always experiencing pressure, and we're always experiencing pressure and stress. But it's how much can we manage before we break, whatever that might Mm -hmm. mean. Mm -hmm. And so our resilience is our capacity to keep coming back in the face of pressure of any variety. And in some cases, we learn from it, right? We hope. We hope we do all the time (laughs) that it's, I'm going on a hiking trip. And so I'm 
in my own version of training. And my massage therapist, who I crawl to periodically, (laughs) says, muscles stretch and they tear and they ache and then they build capacity. And that's really what we're doing all the time. We're stretching. You know, there's a tearing that goes on and it hurts. If we do it too much, we can damage ourselves. But that process of stretching and stretching and stretching really is intended to build our capacity. You know, I was talking to a client today who recounted a story about getting fired years ago and how painful, emotionally painful, and yet how he is a much more competent CEO at this point than he would have been had he not gone through that. Mm. Right. But there's nothing. (laughs) At the moment, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, this hurts too much. I can't even, I can't endure it. I can't survive it. And part of what we talk about with resilience is how to build our capacity and also how to take an attitude toward it so that we're not seeing ourselves as collapsing, but being able to be objective enough about what's going on, how do I need Mm -hmm. to take care of myself, but also how am I growing in the midst of it? We talked about in the book, and Belinda is the primary author of all of the resilience work, so the idea of staying flexible and focused. Mm -hmm. And I have a picture when I speak to groups of a little boy looking through his legs, so bending over. Right. It is something we don't demonstrate in public. But but the idea that that it's almost like a downward dog pose, Mm -hmm. that no matter how I have to contort myself to navigate the situation, am I still able to keep my eyes on true north, stay true to my values, and help the organization or the client go in the direction they're intending to go? What I like about that slide, which we've (laughs) used a number of times, is... He's getting a different perspective. You know, Mm -hmm. it looks like he's contorted, but in fact, he's seeing things in a different way. And hopefully, under stressful conditions, we have the capacity to shift our perspective. And there are times I feel like I'm standing on my head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Just nothing makes sense. So how is it relevant in business? And Mark, you and I are working on a resilience tool. So... How are you mapping what we're doing there to business environments? I think part of the opportunity for understanding resilience more tangibly, Belinda noted that resilience has a capacity. And so one of the things is drilling into capacity. What does that mean as something that we can start to build in a more measurable way? So Part of what we're trying to do with the assessment is say, what does measurable capacity, and I'm going to add something to this, the ability to be responsive to that stress, and how can we measurably create optimal response to the stress that we get day in and day out? So one of the things with the assessment is that there are different types of response. Uh, There's different types of emotional response physical response, uh, mental response, uh, intuitive response. And there is not one configuration that is quote unquote right. There are multiple optimals. And so part of what we want to do with the upgraded assessment is provide that range of where are we optimal in some areas of response and where do we have and experience gaps. And so how can we create an optimized response that allows us the opportunity to receive this stressful feedback in the most beneficial way possible. I like that, the idea that, and each of us has a different kind of mapping of our capacity. Yes. And when we're sleep deprived, we have a different mapping. (laughs) Yes, a much different mapping when we're sleep deprived, for sure. So, Belinda, we've talked about the impact of stress and resilience. Can you talk a little bit about why the negative impact of stress and how resilience helps us? Well, let's start out talking about the nervous system, that we have an autonomic or automatic nervous system that has three branches, really. We're more familiar with 
the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and the third branch is the enteric. The enteric is mm. the brain and the belly, which um, there's lots of interesting research about how we collect data and organize it and process it and learn from it and make decisions and solve problems in our bellies without our conscious awareness. Mm. And so when people are under stress, too much stress, what do we get? You know, we get irritable bowel syndrome and indigestion and all those things. So that's one kind of awareness. But this sympathetic, parasympathetic is like the accelerator and the brakes. So we're designed neurologically in the face of something. Stress is uh, really a response to change. So any kind of change in the environment will create some kind of stress as we're alert to what do we need to do. And the very ancient response is do we fight or do we flee? But both of those require the, the accelerator to get us moving. Parasympathetic is the brakes that slows us down, lets us rest, regenerate, stay in balance. Sometimes we're just trying to keep the accelerator on all the time. And if we don't bring in the opportunity to rest, have relaxation, think about other kinds of things, have interpersonal relationships, then we're just driving, driving, driving. And that sets up problems in our body system that lead to physiological disorders. You know, and we all know that stress is the mm -hmm. cause of lots of kinds of problems, at least a lowered immune system response, and at worst, you know, things like heart disease and cancer and so forth. And also psychological? Well, indeed, that the tendency is either too much acceleration, we're irritable, too much break, or needing to break, we get depressed. So anxiety and depression are the two major psychological problems mm -hmm. everywhere. And those are those two basic mm -hmm. reactions. I worked with two different clients who both had serious psychological breakdowns. And now they came back to work, they were, but it took a while. And in both cases, they were leading significant change efforts for large complex organizations. And it, and my guess is it was never putting on the brakes. Mm. And then the body well, stopped. And, you know, you remember we've talked about the research from, what, the 80s when AT&T had to dissemble. And mm -hmm. the research a nurse, actually, Dr. Kolbasa, as I recall her name is, she tracked how people were dealing with losing their jobs, being downsized, being transferred, all that sort of thing. And there was this small part of the population who actually thrived in the midst of all of this change. Mm. And that was the beginning of our understanding that stress doesn't have to be debilitating, but we have to know how to deal with it mm. in order for it to take us into that next level instead of burying ourselves. Mm. So that's a great lead-in, then. What are the four elements of resilience that came out of that research? Oh, gosh. Let's see. I'm going to have to look at some notes here. All right. That's not really it. But there were three Cs. Ah, okay. And for the life of me, I can't think about it. But how we translated it. We ended up talking about how important it is to deal with taking care of ourselves physically, managing ourselves emotionally, which is also the, the biggest thing is to have a sense of purpose and a commitment to a belief system that makes what we're going through meaningful. And then also to stay interpersonally connected. We apparently need each other. <laughs> and when people drop their ability to interact well with others, they just don't do as well. So her research said that the three C's were, we developed an attitude that challenge is positive, that it's good for us to go through 
difficult things, that we do have control over ourselves, how we respond, the choices we make. We may not have control over the world, but we can keep making decisions for ourselves. We're not victims, basically. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, having a commitment to a belief system of some variety, doesn't matter what it is, that gives a sense of meaning to what we're going through. Great. So then the four elements that we talk about in the framework are, I can manage my physical well-being. And most of us know what that is. Um, Many of us don't get enough sleep. Um. (laughs) Right. It's amazing. The research says that normal adults need between seven and nine hours of sleep every night. And I teach this stuff and people roll their eyes or whatever. And I say, okay, stop caffeine for two weeks and come back and tell me how you can do it on five hours of sleep. And that's really the issue that we medicate ourselves to be able to not get as much sleep as our bodies need. And anyone who knows me knows I am Massively guilty. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to run through these real quickly, then we'll go on break and we'll come back and talk more about them. So maintaining physical well-being, managing my my thinking, having a sense of purpose and emotional intelligence is number three, and then number four is harnessing the power of connection. Right. And so you mentioned those before. We'll go to break at this point, and we'll come back and talk more about those and how it shows up in business and why we care. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we are with Belinda Gore and Mark Palmer, and we are talking about resilience. We've talked about the four elements, so I'll repeat them. Physical well-being, managing thinking, having a clear sense of purpose and emotional intelligence, and managing connections. So Belinda's going to walk us through a little bit more about what each of those things mean. I always say we start with the body because in the end... The body wins. You know, (laughs) we can push ourselves and pretend that we don't need to take care of ourselves, but sooner or later, the body wins. So, we talked about needing sleep. We talk about needing to feed ourselves well. It's always interesting. We see these reports of new research that the best way to deal with, you know, name it. 
cancer, heart disease, anything. Nutrition, sleep. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) get enough sleep, exercise, and and good nutrition. Well, duh. So that's what we need. (laughs) In order to be resilient, we need to be able to feed ourselves well, get some exercise, and it doesn't have to be a major workout. It can be taking a walk in the neighborhood or doing steps a day. Right. Yeah. Doing some Walking stretches. Yeah. All those kinds of things. Also, the truth is sometimes we medicate ourselves with alcohol. Sometimes we medicate ourselves <laughs> with food. <We> do. <laughs> uh, and with smoking. And, you know, those are all ways that we're trying to hide from ourselves the fact that our bodies are needing care. So at risk of sounding like I'm lecturing, it's just we need to be nice to ourselves. And the more we're nice to our bodies, the longer we'll be able to be resilient. The next issue about the beliefs that we have, the idea that we shouldn't have to suffer is one of the things that gets so many people in trouble because we'll be going through whatever we're going through. And then we have this voice that says, I shouldn't have to be doing this, or he shouldn't be treating me this way, or whatever. My boss is mean. And those (laughs) shoulds, it shouldn't be this way, distract us from turning our attention to, so it's going on anyway, how can I deal with it in the most effective way possible? So it's that basic attitude that challenges aren't bad for us. Yeah, I want to interject here. We did, a, I think, a three-interview series with Gary Weber, who talked a lot, well, for three hours, about mm-hmm. managing what the neuroscience says about managing the brain and mm-hmm. managing our thinking. Mm-hmm. And for people who want to dive deeper into that, it's really a um, very helpful interview series, just how our brain ratchets up the negatives to keep us from you know, being dead, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure we put our pants on before we leave the house, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of patterns. And when something goes wrong, our brain escalates it so that we are attending to those potential negatives in a way that will keep us from sure. perishing. Mm-hmm. And we, I love the word, we perseverate. You know, we 98% of what's going on can be great. And we look at that 2% and we won't let it go. We won't keep it in balance mm-hmm. with everything else. And that is a developmental issue that kept us alive so that Mm -hmm. our ancestors who were able to see the problems and solve them survived. But now we've taken it to a fine art that is (laughs) not not so fine after all, it seems. So then the other area about emotional well-being, really we talked about this notion that if we have a sense of purpose— If we have a belief that what's going on is meaningful and we find the meaning, then what that it gives us is we don't resist what's happening emotionally. We also don't fall into it, but Mm -hmm. we can allow ourselves to feel the big five, sad, mad, glad, alone, or afraid. And we're feeling those feelings all the time. If we allow ourselves to just notice it and have it and not get freaked out about it, then really we utilize our emotions to help us stay on purpose. And then finally is interpersonal relationships. You probably know this uh, statistic better than I do about people who have at least one good friend in the workplace are how many percentages more productive it's an amazing amount. If so, you don't have a best friend at work, there's only an 8% chance, if I'm getting this right, coming from Gallup, that you'll be fully engaged. Right. 8%. Yeah. So and, that connection. Right. So it doesn't mean everybody has to be all touchy-feely all the time, although some people are more naturally interpersonally engaged. There's not one standard It is just that when we talk with someone, when we take time off for lunch to 
go have lunch with somebody or take a walk with a friend at lunch, mm-hmm. or we have somebody we can talk things over with and they understand what's going on and we feel safe with them, then the amygdala in the brain is not firing danger, danger, danger. And we're better able to keep our balance mm-hmm. and not see everything as a threat. So one statistic that I use a lot, five minutes of negative thinking causes six hours of physiological impact. Wow. And so if I feel like I am under siege, mm-hmm. and there are workplaces I've certainly felt that, mm-hmm. that negativity is firing all the time. Mm-hmm. And for people who know me know I drive probably exceedingly fast. Uh, <laughs> so I have had more than one instance of, you know, a mattress flying off a truck in front of me or something and having to swerve. And not too long ago, a Christmas tree fell off in front of oh, me. Oh, great. <laughs> something about things Random. flying off. Yeah. <laughs> and there's immediately the, it could go through my windshield and kill me. I can swerve to the right and hit somebody, or I can swerve to the left and hit somebody. And that immediate adrenaline rush is my brain is responding more quickly than I'm conscious of. I exit that scenario feeling like I've just been chased by a pack of wild dogs or something. But, you know, there are a lot of people in big positions who are addicted to that adrenaline rush, who seek it out. And who push for it. And who cause other people to have it. That's right. (laughs) And so while they may need a certain level of stimulation in order to feel alive, Mm -hmm. for the rest of us, we have waves of stress hormones like cortisol Mm -hmm. that don't do us any favors in terms of the well being of our bodies. And so the reason I bring it up, and and I appreciate your point that. Some people cause it more than others yeah. in those around them. And I'm wondering, I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that Belinda brings to mind is this notion that these things can be used as tools, that they're signals and they can be utilized in experience, that they're the big five that Belinda talked about, uh, you know, these elements that we experience emotionally are not just passive things that we experience that can be in, that are just endured but they're actually they can be intentional tools for us to respond in a different way because experience is messy and the capacity to accept that messiness offers an opportunity for us to use things like anxiety and depression as signals to accelerate or break. So maybe some of these individuals that thrive off of the adrenaline rush, there may be an imbalance somewhere. And so now we can start to use these things and create a methodology to say, hmm, there's an intervention here. There's an opportunity for intervention because there's some type of pattern expressed through that behavior that means that there may be gaps in some places or there may be too much of an expression of some other emotional thing elsewhere. So there's opportunities there for us to reframe resilience as the capacity to, one, accept the messiness of life and experience, but then use the content of experience as intentional tools to help us constantly stay in balance and navigate to to work the dials, so to speak. Um, We have a gauge now. We can use these as gauges mm-hmm. of our experience. And our body's one of the barometers that tells us yes. it's out of balance. Yes, big barometer. <laughs> totally, yeah. I like the idea of reframing, and I think, Belinda, you brought it up first, and Mark, you did a beautiful job of crystallizing, that if we step out of the idea that life is, stuff's not supposed to go wrong, but mm-hmm. it just, it is the nature of things. Yeah. Stuff breaks. Stuff breaks. It's a huge piece of the capacity, and and Melinda touched on it throughout the conversation. I think it's a very, very big first step, the ability to not be in a reactive position. But then now we're starting at least to exercise. Mm -hmm. So in terms of something tangible, now it becomes – this becomes a tangible piece as what can I do? So a lot of times we say, well, what can I do to become more resilient? Well, the first thing is we can build acceptance of experience as is. Mm -hmm. That becomes a very tangible first step. 
And then that naturally leads into these other capacities that we can then say, okay, once you build that capacity, now there's a process of recognition. And recognition, then we can start using our experience as tools. So it's almost like a three-step process of acceptance, recognition, and then application. And that becomes in itself a way to actually measurably build resilience. So I want, use me as an example. So I, I start with... I'm better able to accept now, but I think back at times in my life where I was so overtaxed that any little thing that went wrong sent me over the edge. Sure. There just was nothing left. Not right. enough sleep, way too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes too much wine. Oh. <laughs> Stuff broke, dog died, you know, yeah. whatever it was, flights delayed, mm -hmm. and I didn't have the capacity. Yeah. So... For me, the first step is acknowledging that I can't run at 110 miles an hour. Sure. And sometimes so much experience is expended in reacting. Mm -hmm. There's the reactive loop. So a lot of time it's a deficit of available energy and attention to be able to have the recognition in the first place. We underestimate how taxing and how expensive those conceptual loops are just reacting, reacting, reacting. So the ability to bring to bear, just allowing, actually gives us some room. And in that room, we actually start being able to buy additional room. It's, it's almost like money. You know, you make more money and the money can work for you. You gain interest. It's the same thing. You gain the spaciousness. Oh, I, I, I see that now. And then curiosity builds. And you often hear these other things mm -hmm. that in a professional setting, we say, oh, be curious, be this, be that. You when. first when right <laughs> so <Well> so <laughs> so so first there's this this just learning to stop mm -hmm. and then that buys you some lift and the innovative leadership model starts with self awareness yeah and so some system we use the enneagram but some system for being able to know where to look mm -hmm. in my behavioral mm -hmm. field for where I'm likely to stumble or get caught up in typical problems for me. Yes. So if I know myself, I know what my issues are likely to be, and I know what to look for. Then I can start doing exactly yes. what you're talking about more efficiently. Yes. Because I'm, I'm not just scanning 360 all the time. Mm -hmm. I kind of know where I tend to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's not different. Yeah. It's yeah, same old, same, same old. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's true for us, yeah. that we have patterns, and we know ourselves, and we can make jokes about it, but it's still there. Yeah. 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 I do it. I fall in a hole less often. But yeah. yeah. And I, I, I loved what you were saying, Mark, because that's exactly it. Then we start being, we start paying attention. Yeah. And being curious to, instead of, oh, I'm not really like that. It's like, yeah. well, in fact, I am. <laughs> in fact, I am. <laughs> so let's see. Yeah. Instead of resisting seeing myself, being dishonest with myself, yes. trying to avoid who I really am, I start being able to pay attention. Yes. And then I can do what you were talking about. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I think one of the barriers to that is this trying to fix ourselves. Uh, experience is not fixable. There's, and we can consider and entertain that we don't have to fix experience. Again, life is messy. And so is it really true? And it's almost an exercise we can run with ourselves. Do we have to fix experience? Do we have to fix ourselves? And that starts to lead us to the capacity for self-acceptance. And then we can look inside and that the self-awareness practice is looking inside and there are tools like the Enneagram that can give us powerful recognition and say, okay, I'm already in the mode of acceptance and here's some things about me. Here's some things where I may excel. Here's where I may have some gaps. <laughs> and everyone has that configuration. Right. Everyone has, you know, areas where they're, they, they're, they excel greatly in areas where they may not experience, uh, you know, so much of that <laughs> excelling. Well, it, it, it is at least to be aware and be managed. I may not be able yes. to uh, fix some of this stuff, 
but I need to manage. Exactly. Stuff. And, and well, that's a different notion. Yeah. And, yeah. and the idea, I love what you're saying, Mark, because trying to fix things means that I'm using my pre-existing concept about mm-hmm. how it should be, and I'm trying to get it to be that yes. instead of sitting back, paying attention, accepting, yes. and then seeing what's really going on around me yeah. so that I can respond to reality instead of my ideas yes. about it. It's like a hidden should. Exactly. If I'm fixing, <laughs> it's like the, those are the shoulds that hide from us. Absolutely. Yeah. Or we hide from. <laughs> yeah, or we hide from. You know, there's that too. Okay, so we're going to go on break. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. It is my pleasure to be with Belinda Gore and Mark Palmer. We will be right back to bring you more about addressing resilience. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Maureen Metcalf, Mark Palmer, Belinda Gore, talking about resilience. And my question is, can you guys fix me in the next 15 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) We said, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's look at our bill rate. I'd pay it, man. If I could be, (laughs) I have no more problems. (laughs) I'm the antithesis of what we're talking about, except that life's messy, except I don't want it to be. (laughs) And that's normal, too. That's very natural, I should say. That's normal. So, so the first step is I have to get over myself and accept that life is messy. And deal with unreasonable expectations. You know, I'll, I'll bust <laughs> us here. You know, we were talking about that um, the engineers can cut out the parts that we want them to cut out of the interview. And so the expectation is that people have these easy flowing conversations <laughs> and they don't cough and they don't say um because we've we have these manufactured ways of looking at life through the media quite frankly and so we have these expectations about what life's supposed to be like and facebook does this for facebook oh, oh yeah. gosh Social yes media? Oh, yeah absolutely. everyone has a happy life but me uh-huh yeah. Yeah, FOMO, I'm missing out, fear yes. of missing out. Right. And then, I mean, talk about resilience or stress, really. I mean, that's a, a major source of stress yeah. that people, I mean, I have coaching clients who are 
attractive, brilliant, effective, who feel ashamed because of this or that or the other. And I think, when did we start having these expectations Mm. that we're supposed to be these superheroes, you know, Wonder Woman? Marvel Comics did this to us. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I need bracelets, man. Actually, (laughs) I, I think there are a lot of factors in our culture that promote these ideas Mm -hmm. and so then we have expectations that it's not supposed to be stressful (laughs) and that you want to be fixed so that it's fun and happy and you feel good and you're never having pain in your life until i age or as i age Mm. i shouldn't say until (laughs) (laughs) and that in itself is a major stressor for lots Mm -hmm. of people yeah even this conversation in terms of well (laughs) even how to be resilient or resilience. We just have a natural tendency, I think, as human beings, especially living in the more modern era, of I need to be that, mm-hmm. and I'm not that. And I, again, back to the shoulds, I should be that. And it's so unconscious and so automatic that part of slowing down and stopping is sort of catching that response pattern and allowing it to play out see it recognize it and learning how to not over and over give it more strength and that is now ways that we can start to take care of ourselves is not feeding that conceptual belief system of i'm not this i need to be this and again we do this in countless ways throughout our lives so from an exercise standpoint of, okay, how do I start to build resilience? It's very simply just observing yourself and even accepting the fact that I want to be fixed is okay. That's natural. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's that permission, right? It is that permission of, you know, I don't want life to be hard. Who does? No one does. (laughs) I don't want it to be hard. You know, it is, but it is, it is. I and I constantly don't want it to be hard, and um, and it's I'm okay with that. You know what's interesting to me is <laughs> as I reflect because I I actually do think about this a lot. If life is hard for us, and we're in yeah the developed countries, we all have reliable cars, and we're not trading off food for shoes or medicines. Mm-hmm. If it's tough for us. There are people for whom it is unfathomable. Yeah, we have what we call first world problems. Mm -hmm. And yet, we each have what we have. We are each unique in the Mm. world. We each have our lives that we have. Nothing wrong with the fact that your problems may seem like insignificant problems to someone who's a refugee. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's not who you are. And as we learn better to inhabit our own lives, to just show up not as we should be or how we should be grateful for or anything, but here I am. I am this unique point of consciousness, if you will, in the world. Who am I? What am I experiencing? What do I have to contribute? Instead of guiding ourselves by external ideas, Mm -hmm. it's really a maturational issue to not be driven by somebody else's ideas of who we should be, to discover, not to say, well, you can't tell me what to do, but rather to really discover what's in me that wants to be conscious, that wants to be expressed, what are my strengths, what's the work environment in which I'm most likely to be able to express those strengths. We end up being a lot saner when we can just land where we are. You know, that's something we haven't talked as much about. We talked about managing thinking, which I think is one of the biggest practices. One of the others is that sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're pointing to is, what am I here for? If I have considered what what is my unique set of skills and reason for being here and how do I contribute, 
It certainly helps serve as a North Star to keep me on track and out of trouble. And that North Star can keep changing. That's so that's too. that's one of yeah. the things that is both our gifts as beings that could continue to mature and develop mm-hmm. is that what my dream was when I was 13 years old. Ballerina. It, <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> well, that at some point you realize that the 13-year-old dream wasn't really the dream that you have right now. You probably don't sit up at night and wish that you were a ballerina. It's a good thing I don't, because boy, am I not fit <laughs> <laughs> for ballet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge point that Belinda brings up, and I think it's another element in addition to the the way we think, but the way we approach ourselves. And you hear this word a lot, authenticity. But if we dig into that, it really is the curious discovery of who we are and accepting that uniqueness. And I think another big aspect of resilience is the capacity to curiously go into that discovery process again and again and again. In the assessment work that I've done in the past, one of the root causes that we saw in the research uh, looking at professionals and trying to figure out, you know, you see a lot of different assessments around uh, personality, behavior, uh, skills and aptitude and so forth. One of the things that we tried to look for was what I'll loosely term is alignment. And alignment refers to our frameworks. What do we tend to focus on? Uh, what comprises our, our perspective, how we look at things and so forth. And alignment is such a root cause indicator of our ability to be resilient. If we know ourselves intimately, then we can accept that there are areas where we're will excel in, that we'll be strong in, and there are areas where we'll need complementary help. And so one of the other capacities to actually begin to develop a healthy sense of resilience is this notion of self-authenticating alignment. These are the things, and everybody has an individual alignment in terms of these are the things that I focus on and are my strengths, these are the things that I have gaps in and I may need complementary help in. Uh, But it's such a core component. And we we talk about, from a professional standpoint, um, being able to be resilient under stress. It's knowing yourself. It's it's Mm -hmm. being able – you can't self-manage if you aren't in a space of of some sort of self-authenticating process, some Mm -hmm. kind of self-discovery. You can't self-manage without beginning to grow that type of awareness. Yeah, when I – I teach when I'm doing leadership trainings. I pull this out again and again because this is some years old now. But uh, the Stanford Graduate School of Business has an advisory group of about 65, you know, major players in the business world. And they pulled the school in developing curriculum for business leaders, pulled the advisory group to say, what do we most need to integrate into our curriculum to help build good, strong leaders? And almost all of them said to build self-awareness and reduce denial. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all of this stuff about, you know, problem-solving skills and communication and whatever, whatever. Self-awareness and reducing denial, which is just what you're saying. Know ourselves. So let's, we have about three minutes left. I would be curious for our listeners to hear, one minute each, what do we personally do to be self-aware? Because this is a group of people who actually has practices. As much as I joke about it, I actually have practices. (laughs) So Maureen, let's start with you. What are your practices? (laughs) So morning and evening, so when I wake up and when I go to bed... The first question I ask myself, and this came from Gary Weber, is who are you? Where are you? What are you? And I do, who are you? So what, what is my purpose? What, what am I? What am I here to do? What's possible 
in this day? Hmm. What, and at the end of the day, what am I grateful for? And I often do a lot more than that, but those are the foundations. Who am I? What's possible as I start my day? And thank you for letting me make, make it through the day. Sometimes it's just thank you for letting me make it around that tree that <laughs> fell off the truck. <laughs> yeah. And other times I feel like I'm Cinderella. You know, just really cool stuff happens. And it's so easy to get caught up in the, the other stuff just to take a minute and say, wow, that was super cool. Yeah. I meditate every day, and my basic practice for resilience is to learn how to stay focused in my belly and to keep my heart open. And all of the other things, I know a gazillion other things, but they don't do me any good if I don't keep breathing into my belly or kath or dantian or whatever we want to call that point that in many Eastern cultures, for instance, is considered where I exist, my point of consciousness, and an open heart. And then I get the most amazing guidance, maybe from outside myself or maybe just from within myself because I'm not I'm not over-talking the mm-hmm. wisdom mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. can naturally mm-hmm. arise. Same, yeah. when I'm meditating yeah. or walking. Mine is walking often. Yeah. So, Mark. Yeah. Walking, anything that, you know, this, this human life is enough. So, anything that can remind me that my life is enough. Physical exercise, walking. I do do a meditation practice where I just actually just, it's bare attention. I'm just allowing my experience to be what it's going to be. And the natural enoughness just comes out. So, yeah. I love our walking meetings. (laughs) (laughs) We have great walking meetings. (laughs) So I want to thank our listeners. And hopefully you heard something today that you can put into practice. How do you notice? What are you paying attention to? Do you allow space to reflect? Do you have an expectation that things are going to go wrong and you make space for that to happen without anger and frustration and annoyance at yourself or those around you? So how do you navigate so that you can be as clear thinking and as physically healthy as possible so as you are leading your organization, you can be as effective as the people around you need you to be. So thank you. I would love to hear your feedback. Email me or Facebook me, info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And for the listener over the next month who sends the most compelling email, I will send a free Innovative Leaders course that we are just developing online. So you will be one of the first people to receive that course. And it's an eight module course with exercises and the opportunity to get feedback. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.